This is our word today. You guys have, should have paper books along with us. The whole book. We're going to start at the beginning. We're going to read out loud. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> oh, the looks on y'all's faces. Anyway, I brought the big one with me up here. This is my big study Bible that has larger print. And um, so I had one because I didn't know if we'd have enough Bibles for everybody. Um, I also have... This is like one of my favorite heart Bibles. It's a funny story. Um, Chuck saw, Brad and I, we have these Bibles. They slightly look like they've been through, you do too, yes, buddy. Um, they've been through a, a lifetime of love. And this, the kind of the faux leather starts to like disintegrate after a while. And we work at a camp every summer um, in Georgia and go down and it's like 500 degrees and 400% humidity. And you just want to like, you, you feel like you should lose weight just purely by sitting outside by the amount of sweat and exhaustion that's happening to your body. I don't ever change except my Bible has over the years. So one day we came up and we was sitting under the tabernacle and because um, it's a Christian family camp. Camp, and our Bibles were stacked together, and Brad picked them up, and you could hear him go, and we left faux leather on this seat at the tabernacle, and then our Bibles were stuck together. Anyway, and the whole rest of that time, every time we'd stack them anywhere, we lost more and more of our cover. So it looks like I'm just really good at, like, digging in the Word. I love the Word, but I don't, I think the Bible may give false analogies to that on how it looks. But I brought two with me because this one's all written in and this is my study Bible. And I don't know how many Bibles you guys have at home. I don't know. Maybe you have zero. Maybe you have one. Maybe you have 10. I don't know. People work out of different ones. I have this one because I need your help this morning a little bit. Okay. So if you are brave, I'm going to ask that you take a Bible and at some point help me read some chap parts out loud. Who would be willing to do that? I know there, yes, Ashley. All right, anybody else? I knew, thank you. I was hoping that Jackie would say yes. All right, a couple other people maybe. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna be in a couple different places, but let me just tell you, we're going to be reading through Psalm 23, part of 2 Samuel 9 and Deuteronomy 30. So I need somebody else. Yeah, thank you. I was like, somebody else. <laughs> All right, so you're all over Deuteronomy 30. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, all right, so we'll probably need maybe another person or I'll read some of 2 Samuel 9 too. So that gives us kind of our flow chart for this morning. We're in a kind of Old Testament area this morning. I was thinking over the... Um, the last several weeks over a number of different topics, but one topic kept coming out again and again and again to me, and I wasn't here last Sunday. Actually, I think I missed three Sundays in a row with my illness, a kid illness, and then um, taking our youth on a, on a ski um, trip away, which I loved because I got time to just look at our youth and they were all like, Meg, you were supposed to talk for like 10 minutes. And I was, I told them, I said, the more I see your faces look bored and exhausted or like, Oh, pastor Meg is still talking. I just talk slower. I have learned as a parent that sometimes that actually gets more attention than when I'm really fast or loud or ah. So I managed to make it 40 minutes. 
They were so polite. They really were, and they were great kids. But we got to go through and talk about each one of them having been given a particular destiny in the kingdom of God. And so it was interesting, a dear, uh, a newer and dear friend of mine had sent me some podcasts a couple weeks ago that, um, just beware, this is going to be put out on, on social media and different things. Um, if you want to find out more about that, it's at King's Church Group, which is a Facebook page. And, um, but it's about this guy talking about his testimony, and I just loved it. I was so excited. And so I've just been spending time in his story and where the Lord's leading me, and the Lord reminded me of dancing. I grew up doing ballet from the time I think I was four or five when I started, um, probably four. I'm not sure. I'm sure my parents will correct me on on uh, media in just a second on that and tell everybody what it really was. But I think it was four or five. And I started, and one of the first things they teach you is to listen to your teacher, right? You're doing what the teacher's telling you to do. And so you stand and you learn plies and you learn different terminology. And then as you start moving through, you learn to spin because that's a pretty important part of ballet, right? Is like you see people spinning and doing these beautiful spins and they stay upright when they're spinning. I don't know if it's an adult now with uh, having given birth to numerous children in my center of gravity changing a little bit, how, how well I do at that now. But at the time I worked really hard because I loved it. And so I would, I just practiced and practiced at home. And what they would teach you to do is to find a spot out in front of you. It didn't matter what it was, just a single spot. And your head always goes there. And as you start to turn and you come around, you go straight back to that spot. You don't look anywhere else. If you allow your focus to go somewhere else, then you tip. Like you literally start to like tip at all because where your eyes go, your body goes. Where your eyes go, your body goes. Guys, I feel like it's a double. Where our eyes as a body of Christ go, we will shift, we will move. And I feel like there's a season of the Lord saying, this is a one thing season. This is a one thing season. And the Lord has been pretty clear with King's Church that he is like, listen, I want y'all to be a one thing church. So as the world is spinning around us, we're keeping our eyes focused. And sometimes that equals really great conversation and amazing worship times and healings. And sometimes that's closed doors with some hard conversations, you know, and brokenheartedness of going, oh, don't let us get off the track. Don't let us get off the path because we tip and we're no longer secure in him. He was just reminding me of my ballet years and, and how much fun that was. And I, just, I loved dancing. I loved dancing until I found soccer. <laughs> then I discovered a whole new love. But, um, but that's a different story. So I um, also love Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I, um, I just, I eat it up. I love how the Old Testament just speaks into the New Testament. The New Testament, five bazillion times of there is really quoting the Old Testament that we don't know if we don't know our Old Testament. So here's what we're going to do, because we're going to be in Psalm in a little while. So you know how you find Psalm, right? You kind of just open your Bible and route right in the middle. That's what I was always taught. Almost right in the middle. There you go is Psalms, right? And then we're just going to back up, and we're going to jump into 1 Samuel and I'm just going to fly through some of this. You don't even have to necessarily turn there if you don't want to, because you could find, you have a few minutes to find 2 Samuel for yourself if you need to do that. But in 1 Samuel, we are in a position where David, dear David, who wrote the Psalms, right? So David is in this place. 
David's life is rapidly shifting. David's life shifts a lot. And I feel like we see that happening around us right now. Our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, their lives are rapidly shifting. I was reading a, a little a thing where a, a young college student was writing. He said, you know, if we can get food, it's at least a two-hour wait at the grocery store right now. Just pray for us. There's no way to leave, live, nowhere to leave. There's nowhere to go. My life is shifting, and I wasn't expecting it. He was saying even a week ago, the college students didn't think this would happen. They're like, we didn't believe it. We were hearing news, and we're like, nothing's going to happen. Our life isn't going to change. And he was like, I don't even recognize the world around me now. I can't imagine being a college student somewhere, and you don't have your family. You can't get a hold of money. What do you do? Well, the funny thing is about the Ukraine is that they are a strong, spirit-filled country. So when we pray, I believe the Lord is going to move to open up the doors for the young man to have somebody who just steps into his life and helps him. Because that's all we can do right now, right? We can't do anything else. And David was in a position in 1 Samuel where he had nobody else that could really help him. He was being chased after. He thought he was going to be chased after by the king who he had worked for for a long time. He was very close to the king, close to the king's family. And then something shifted and it didn't make any sense in his mind. Like he didn't look at it and go, I did this and now this has happened. Like it's just, it just changed. There was a change. And, and you know, it's interesting. I see that happen in people's lives. I've seen it happen in my life. And then I start to say, oh, it's unfair. What did I do? You know, David refused to ever become the victim in this. He refused to become the victim. And we're going to talk about why I believe he did that in a few minutes. But here we have, he's out there and he and Jonathan, and this is 1 Samuel 20, he and Jonathan have this really deep conversation. And Jonathan's like, listen, I'm warning you about stuff. This is going south. This is not good for you. And so Jonathan says, but you know what I believe? I believe I see who you are. Even as you're getting ready to run into the mountainside and hide out from the king coming to get you, I still see who you are. You are a leader. You're a king. You've been called by the Lord to be in a position of authority, but it's not this time yet. Jonathan, who should be stepping into the place of the king, he commits his life and his purpose to this other young man. And he says, I'm here to support you. I'm here to support you. But when you do become king, do you promise not to kill me and my family off? You know, so they covenant together. They make a promise together that they believe the word of the Lord over them more than they believe the surrounding voices and what they see with their own eyes. Guys, I feel like that's such a thing right now for our own hearts. Do we believe the word of the Lord over who we are, over what our church is, who our church is, who our community is, more than what we see in the world around us right now? Every bit of this for me was the Lord looking back and saying, Megan, this is the solid rock I need you to stand on. This is the solid rock. I'm offering you a stake with this story, Megan, not just some chocolate cake. I love chocolate cake but I'm offering you steak that it'll actually grow your body. So they covenant together. At the end of that thing, David actually, Jonathan comes back and reminds David again. And he then, we go into John and David running out. And rapidly, the story just begins to progress. I love a good action movie. Do you guys love a good action movie? If you haven't read this recently, go jump into First and Second Samuel because it's like an action movie. And if you don't understand parts of it, start to like Google it, research it. It's amazing what comes up. In the doing and praying through this, I came across this quote by this um, pastor that I can't think of the name of the pastor. It's up in, in Chicago. Brad, what was the church name again? I lost it. 
Moody. Thank you. I was like, what is it? It's like Moody Bible Church up in Chicago. His name was Alan Redpath. And he, uh, he said this quote. And I just, I was like, this is my quote for the day. Let God empty you out that he may save you from becoming spiritually stale and lead you ever onward. He is always calling us to pass beyond the thing we know into the unknown. I want to read that again. He is always calling us to pass beyond the thing we know into the unknown. A throne is God's purpose for you. A cross is God's path for you. And faith is God's plan for you. We don't get to the end result without the throne, the cross, and faith. I was like, ooh, that's good. I mean, that's pretty much a sermon all on its own right there. Like, we could just sit in that. But going back to 1 Samuel, because I feel like this is the, the word the Lord's sharing today. Let's summarize it really fast. Saul comes after David. Then you jump to Samuel 23, and during the back and forth movement, Jonathan actually sneaks out. I mean, how does, how does the, the son of the king sneak out and comes back to David, and he, like, he reminds David of who he is? He was like, let me speak truth again. Let me speak truth again. I see us at some point when this is over, I'm going to stand beside you. Like he sneaks out to remind truth. Guys, there are times where the Lord is going to have somebody sneak up to you to remind you of truth of who you are. So we have to have our ears unplugged so we hear it. We have to allow our hearts to be able to be softened so we hear the word of the Lord because the Lord will have people speak truth back into your life. And let me tell you, so does Satan. Satan wants to speak things as well. So we have to be able to have discernment. David spares Saul's life after he comes into a cave. That's kind of a gross part of the story. I'll let y'all read it on your own. But Saul sneaks into this cave thinking he's having a private moment. And David and his men are all in there, the opposite of a private moment. David cuts off the corner of his robe. He's that close to him. He has no idea. And then when he leaves, he brings it out to him. And Saul has this moment, very small moment of clarity in maybe what was pretty strong mental illness or something that was going on with him. And he says, I know you're going to be king. And when you are, please don't cut off my offspring like you cut off my robe. There's a lot to that passage. We have a lot of kids in here. Brad was like, please don't go into all that. So that's the, that's the like PG version. But y'all, it's actually pretty interesting right there. So he goes into it. He recognizes David's going to become king. He's like, we're done with this running back and forth. And then all of a sudden he changes his mind again because the dude was a little crazy. Then he comes after David. It just goes back and forth, back and forth. And all of this, David makes decisions based on one thing though. One thing. He knows who he is, and he knows who Saul is. And he says, I will not touch God's appointed. I will not touch God's appointed. I mean, he didn't agree with them. There was bloody death happening. There was senseless death happening. And he said, I'm not going to touch God's appointed. I won't. He treated him with the utmost respect and honor, regardless of what Saul did. He was being taught to be a man of honor, to be a man of submission. It's amazing to me what came out of that. Saul was God's appointed. David wouldn't act against him. Finally, at the end of, of 1 Samuel, we've come to a place where both Saul and Jonathan die on the same day in the same horrible, bloody battle. And I just, my heart broke at that for the, some reason this time, more than I'd ever seen it before. Because when Jonathan snuck out during that other battle, he came, he said, I see myself standing beside you. And it's just, it's cut short. It doesn't happen. He doesn't get to stand beside him. 
David is struck with just such grief. And that in itself is a whole other teaching how he deals with that situation. It's beautiful. Just please go back and spend time in that sometime soon. But he is struggling internally, I believe, with an unfulfilled promise that Saul's offspring would never be cut off. Saul's offspring would never be cut off. He had said to Jonathan, you'll stand beside me. And I think those, those words echoed in his mind. So this jumps us forward to 2 Samuel. And we learn in 2 Samuel 4, 4, that there indeed was somebody else along that line. Everybody else was dead, but there was a young boy who had been swept away in the mayhem of this big battle, and his nurse had taken him. And poor, this name, whew, if we get through it a hundred times today, as many times as I need to say it, it's going to be amazing, but Mephibosheth. Poor little Mephibosheth is like swept up. He's five years old. That's not a little kid. I don't know if I could grab my five-year-old daughter, who weighs less than most little five-year-old boys, and run very far. But she sweeps him up, and you guys probably know this story, and she's running, and something happens. You know, she drops him. She trips. Something happens, and his feet and his legs are broken, and he becomes lame, completely lame. He can't stand. He can't function in any way. But she takes him and they go into hiding. And for years, he's in hiding somewhere. He's been put away. You know, it's interesting because I actually Googled a few of these things. It's funny. It's what I did the other day with the, um, the youth is I was Googling names. Googling. Isn't that so funny when you say it again and again? Maybe I should just say I was researching names. <laughs> right? It does. I was researching names. <sighs> hmm. And it was like Mephibosheth. And, you know, I found two different versions of kind of what it means. But one was um, out of the mouth of shame. And, uh, and so I was like, oh, this poor dude. That was my thought process most of the way working through this. Like this poor guy. Like his name is just like from the mouth of shame. Like he's just born into bleh. That's what his... his what it came from. And then I realized when I did a little bit more research into the actual etymology of the words that come into his name, that that's actually not quite right. It's really one who destroys shame, one who destroys shame. And I was like, oh, he was named that before the battle. I mean, he was named that. He was five years old when the battle happened. And he was already known as this is one who destroys shame. And yet he's hiding in shame. I was like, what a story we're about to enter into. Okay, so I need a reader. Jamie, or Jackie, do you want to come up here? We're going to read through this. Where are we? Whoo, y'all, we got to talk fast. Worship was awesome this morning. 1 Samuel 9. Okay. 9. Mm-hmm. I'll start it, and then you pick up. Here's the second Samuel nine. I'm so sorry. Yeah, second Samuel nine. Sorry. I'm actually in first Samuel. Look at that. See, this is the thing. Working in a paper Bible slightly slows us down. It gives our brains time to catch up. Yeah. We're going to go through the whole thing. I want you guys to see all of it. I could summarize it for you. I love telling a good story, but we're just going to read it. God's better at that than I am. 
And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called to him, to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, now, side note, Ziba had been Saul's servant. And now he was David's servant. And the man said, I'm here. Is there still not someone in the house of Saul that I might show kindness to the God for him? Go for it. Ziba. Now we're in the middle of three. Yep. Mm-hmm. Ziba responded. This is on. It was. All right. Hey, guys, we need this mic on. It's green, so it should be. <laughs> Sorry. Hello. Testing, testing. All right, I'll keep reading until you just keep testing it. It'll get there. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of someone, the son of someone at Lodabar or Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of someone to the son of someone at Lodabar. And don't you love that? We don't all have to know everything. And I'm not going to try to pronounce it every single time. There's another mic there. And the King David sent and brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth and the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, and David said, Do not be afraid, for I will certainly show you kindness on account of Jonathan, your father. I will return to you every field of Saul, your father, and you will eat at my table perpetually. He bowed low and said, What is your servant that you should be concerned for a dead dog like me? The king summoned Ziba, the servant of Saul, and he said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to you, son of your master. You will work the ground for him, you, your sons, and your servants. You will bring in the produce so that the son of your master will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, the son of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, everything that my lord the king has commanded his servant, your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at the table of David like, the one, like one of the sons of the king. Now Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, or Micah, and all who dwelled in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he ate continually at the table of the king. Now he was lame in both of his feet. It's interesting. We start the story in 4-4 about what happened to him. And then we hear a little bit in here. And then it ends it. Now he was lame in both feet. I mean, we just keep going back to that. Why is it so important for us to know he was lame in both feet? He could do nothing for himself. He could do nothing. In fact, he doesn't even know what David knows. He doesn't know what David knows. He's been hidden away at somebody else's house the entire time, not being able to take care of himself, being really um, at a place of insignificance to the kingdom, right? He was taught to hide, to fear, to cower from his legacy. His legacy was one of shame. His legacy was one of a father and a a grandfather that died in this battle. Who knows what he believed of David? Who knows? And yet David wanted to teach him what we all need to learn. He wanted to teach David. I believe that part of this was his love to teach this young man. David wanted to teach Mephibosheth, I see something in you that I saw in your father. 
and God saw in your grandfather. And there's more to your story than what you believe it is. So he gave him three different things. I love this. He gave him the rank as a son. He said, I want you to come. You're going to come and be intimate to me. You're going to sit at my table. There's a space for you here. You only get to sit at the king's table if he believes you're safe, right? If he's afraid that you're going to backstab him or you're going to hurt him, there's not a place at the table. And he said, you are going to be just like my sons. There is a place for you here. I'm going to love on you. I'm going to take care of you like you're my son. I am going to restore to you the dignity that was stripped away from you when you ran, when you were taken. Also, he had an inner place to speak to the king's ear. He was like, I'm going to give you my ear. If you're at a table with the king, the king can talk to you and you talk back and forth. He's like, I'm going to give you my ear. You are not cut off from me. You are intimate to my heart. And then he was given an opportunity of great wealth. What had been taken away, and, and, and later on, if you finish reading, there's some stuff with Ziba in the future that's maybe not all that great. But at that time, Ziba gets told, by the way, you used to work for the king, and now you're going to work for his grandson. You are his. And Ziba had, I think, does it say in there, he's like 15 sons and all these people. And he's like, great. Your whole family, you are there. He's yours now. You're going to provide. You're going to take care of him. The following generations would be blessed through him. Legacy was set back in place. So Micah then comes into it, and he has a legacy, and he has a place that's being prepared for and taken care of. He will never go without want because King David said, this is, this is my son. It's an adoption story in a different way. I love adoption stories. David declared that he would not harm the Lord's anointed nor his family, and he made it very public. But it's this way he lived his whole life. He kept avoiding killing Saul. Several times he had the opportunity very close to Saul. And he was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I have committed myself to the Lord that I will take care of the Lord's anointed and his family regardless of what happens to me. I see so much of Psalm 23 in this entire passage. So, Ashley, do you feel it coming up here? Can you come up here and read? Awesome. This is Ashley, y'all. Ashley works with us during the week here, and we love it when she gets to come and hang out with our family. So, Ashley, I just want you to read all of Psalm 23. Guys, let these words just flow over you this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is a psalm of David, and he's talking about himself here. He's not talking about someone else. He believes this for himself, that the Lord will protect him. I mean, he grew up in the pasture, and he was like, I am safe out here. I'm safe where my father has placed me. I am safe where my father Jesse has said, go do this. I have trained. I have submitted. 
the rod and the staff, he knew what that meant. He knew the taking care of sheep means that sometimes he has to push him and sometimes he has to pull him in. He looked at this and this is how he lived his life. In fact, if I was to look at the Psalms, I think I might say that this, this Psalm here is like David's key verses over himself. It's like what he would sing over himself. I wonder if sometimes when he was out afraid, and we do know he had moments out afraid, and if he would just remind himself singing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lay down in pastures. Right now, in this dark, hollow, scary zone of my life, he has prepared a table for me. I'm not there yet, but he's prepared a table for me. And then when he meets Mephibosheth in person, he says, this is what I see over you. You're going to lie down in a clear pasture. I've prepared a place for you. You know the irony is? Back when we were looking at it a minute ago, um, of course, I changed my page. Oh, here we go. Um, where was Mephibosheth? Do you guys remember that? Go back to that really quick. He was in, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it, the house of Makar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. Do you know what that means? I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly either, but that's okay. We're all learning together. Lodabar means pastureless place a pastureless place. Mephibosheth had literally been kept in a pastureless place his entire life. And David looks at him and says, I want you to come out of that. I want you to lay down in peace. The Lord has prepared a pasture for you. The Lord has prepared everything you need. I'm taking you out of the pastureless place and I'm giving you a place of safety, a place of security. And I keep thinking, Lord, that's what you do in my life. Every time I'm tempted to hide and cut myself off and all I see is my wants and my lack, you say, let me be creative in your life. Let me show up and bring back in. You know, often I think, especially in the American church, there's something about us. We love the American dream. If we work hard, good things happen, and we will be safe, and we will be healthy. And the Lord's like, I love you so much. I love you so much, but there's a big but there. There's a big but. Maybe I shouldn't say it that way. There's more to your story because your story is not for yourself. If David hadn't gone through what he had gone through, and if David hadn't decided from the very beginning, I'm going to be who I know I'm supposed to be. Lord says I'll be king one day, but I'm not going to grab it for my own. I'm not going to take the right of kinghood. I'm going to wait until the Lord places me there. If he had grabbed it for himself, he wouldn't be the king that God wanted him to be. I believe this is part of what goes into a man after my own heart. This is part of this, is that he knew who he was. He knew who he was supposed to be. Deuteronomy 30. Prep for that for just a second. I think there's a couple things that we can look at our own lives and see. One thing for sure that I see in my own life is what am I holding tight to? truth and lies. The truth was that David held tight to the fact that he knew that he had a destiny in the Lord that he didn't see happening. It got farther and farther and farther away for him, but he knew that there was a truth that the Lord had spoken something differently. So what are the truths in your life that you're holding tight to? But what are the lies? I think there are always lies in our life too. 
David had ample opportunity, and if you read through the Psalms, he heard the same lies we hear. He speaks them out. He speaks them out throughout the Psalms, which I think is lovely because if we speak the Psalms out loud, it's often like flushing things out of our own minds, our thoughts. What are the lies that we tell about ourselves? God controls the timing. He controls this, I'm not in charge. What can you give away? Can we create a culture of generosity? I want that for our church. I want for King's Church to be a place of generosity that we give lavishly away. David did that. He gave lavishly away knowing that his fruit that would come back to him came from the Lord, not on his own, on what he was doing. When he gave Ziba and gave those guys and gave back all the land that had belonged to Saul, that was like taking away from himself. He's like, this is yours. This is for your generations. I want to give this to you. So I want us to create a culture of generosity in our own life. What can we give away? And then last but not least, what are we afraid of versus what should we be afraid of? Because there are things that should quake us in our shoes. There are things that we should be afraid of, but I think we've missed the mark many times because what we should not be afraid of is the stuff that the world's screaming at us right now. That's not what we should be afraid of. All right, hey, Sash, really fast. So I'm going to read one thing, and then I want you to read. Um, it's probably, we probably have the same parts in here. So six, like the six down through 14. Six through 14. Mm-hmm. So, but really fast, before we read in Deuteronomy 30, I want us to jump back here to Deuteronomy 23. There's a verse, 23, 14. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. Y'all, that's something that I think we should fear a little bit. The Lord walks in our midst. Guys, when we have testimony of people coming forward and saying, I have been touched by the hand of the Holy Spirit this morning, do you know what that means? There's something that you're not seeing with your human eyes happening at that exact moment. The Holy Spirit is walking in our camp. The Holy Spirit is saying, I'm going to touch you. 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 If the Holy Spirit is walking in our camp, this is not just a storyline that's fun for our kids or a movie. This is that the holiness of the Lord is in this place. Are we pure of heart? Go for it. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again, again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all, your work, in all the work of your hand and the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your, of your ground. The Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that you are written in his book of the law. When you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend 
to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is your mouth. It, I'm sorry. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Oh, y'all, right there. This is what we should be afraid of, not understanding and knowing these words. This is Moses speaking, and Moses is just about to be on his last breath. Like right after these sets of verses, then he goes into uh, the song of Moses, and he does some last teaching, and then he dies. Moses knows that he stepped out and did something wrong, and that consequence was going to happen, that he would not walk into the promised land. He knew this. I, I just wondered the, the battle in his own heart. He was still in leadership. He couldn't hide. He had to finish well. But he knew that he knew that he knew that his people could do it. He spoke life into his people and said, you can do this, but you have to do it with full submission. And how can you do it? It says right there, it's not too hard for you. Well, it was hard for Moses. He didn't do it. Why are you saying it's not too hard? Because he just said up above, it's not too hard for you if you circumcise your heart. If you're willing to cut something off and say, today I'm going to do it differently. Today I'm going to step out and be different. That word before that, when we read in 23, to be holy, holy means to what? To be set apart. Set apart means something's either been cut off or separated from. And they said, we're going to do this, but we have to do it differently. And when we do it differently, then we know that we know that we know the Lord looks down and says, these are my people in whom I'm well pleased. And the thing is, I believe the Lord sang over Mephibosheth, just like he's saying over Jonathan, just like he's saying over Saul. He saw something in Saul, Saul didn't see in himself. He saw something in David, David didn't see in himself. I love this quote. It's the last quote here. It was from Alan Hood. I wish the way to God were different. It would be easier on my flesh. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's God's delight to do this for us. It's God's delight to look at us and say, I love you, but we need to cut this off. I need you to turn and do this differently because I know who you are and I'm speaking truth into you, but you have to choose the truth and to let go of the lie. You have to lose that. So one last time, this other quote from Alan. Let God empty you out that he may save you from becoming spiritually stale and lead you ever onward. He is always calling us to pass through beyond the thing we know into the unknown. The unknown is scary. It's not known. A throne is God's purpose for you. A cross is God's path for you. Faith is God's plan for you. It's his delight to take delight in you. It is our delight to say, shake off, get us moving. And the Holy Spirit moves and walks into the room. And he says, where are my holy people? Because I want to touch my holy people. I'm not saying that he's not going to heal people that aren't worthy. That's not it at all. Because Mephibosheth did nothing his entire life that would have made him worthy of any action of grace. He couldn't do anything than show up and eat at the king's table. He only took and yet David looked at him and said, I give you everything. I give you everything. I restore everything to you. Your generations will be blessed because you breathed air. I think that's it. He's wanting to look down and say, I'm restoring your generations because you breathe air. Listen to me. Let me love your heart back into healing. Let me love your body back into wholeness. Place yourself before me, willing to do the hard 
and to walk into the promised land before me. I don't want to be like Moses. I see the promised land and I'm cut off dry because he wanted a little water that he could provide for himself. Y'all, it's so good.